Привет, вы у вас. Это хороший день, слава Богу. So you got, if he's going to talk about a phone call to Russia, I got to help out. Said, uh, hello and uh, greetings in the name of the Lord. Today is a, a wonderful day uh, by God's grace. Fifteen uh, and a half years ago, I walked through the back of those doors and my wife and I and the kids, we were looking for a new opportunity, a new church home. I was on the space station out in uh, Houston, Texas. And I walked through the doors and I saw Kevin doing surprise box. And he pulled out of the box one of the paddles with the ball attached with a string. And he was up there for five minutes and he had absolutely no idea what to say. And, but in those few minutes, I found a church family. We found a church family that we'd make our own. Uh, about a year after that, I came to faith. Twelve years ago, I left my career on the space program and in military aircraft and became a missionary with Slavic Gospel. Now I'm the vice president of ministry of Slava Gospel Association and travel around the world, and I've been pastoring a, a church that Christy and I have been a part of planting, and that's been going on for six years. And so I don't want to spend much time on that. Uh, what I want to spend time on is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I want to talk to you about the gospel and its importance in the world today and its importance in you that you are the ambassadors of Christ and God making his appeal through you. If, if we could get the PowerPoint up there, I hope that it's up there. I wanted to introduce you to a few people that I know. I'm hoping. There we go, and let's go to the next slide. That picture was taken in Freedom Square in downtown Kiev right after what they called the, the Maidan uh, revolution when the, the president was leaving and people were asking questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And you have to understand that a majority of the world is asking those questions. If you ask any teenager in our world today, uh, they will ask you those questions. Why am I here? What is this all about? You talk to someone living on the street, they are going to give you the same answer. The reality is if you look at the internet or you turn on the news, we live in a very difficult time. There's a, uh, but uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is that in the midst of these uh, difficult times, often people are searching for answers, and I can let you know that they're searching today. Pastor Sergei Moroz, uh, who is a pastor in the Lugansk region, you heard the shelling that's going on right now in uh, Donetsk. Lugansk is north of that, and he said, after the wall went down, there was a great spiritual awakening. After that, when they got conveniences, they got their smartphones, they got their computers, they had family going back and forth to the U.S., apathy settled in. Now that there's conflict in Ukraine and people have to fight to survive, they're now asking, where is God? Where is my future? Where do I go from here? But let me walk through a few things with you so we can begin to answer a few questions. Let's go to the next slide. How do we answer Anastasia? Anastasia lives in northern Tajikistan. She and her two brothers are children of a mother who is drunk and comes home maybe once every six to seven months. The only way they eat is if her younger brother goes to the creek and catches a fish. What is the answer we give to Anastasia on why these things have happened to her and where is her future and what is her hope? If you go to the next picture, this is Takmina. Takmina is in the southern part of Tajikistan. She was raising three children while her husband went to Moscow. He came back with a new young wife, 
announcing to Takmina that she needs to leave the home with the children so that he could begin his new life. She had nowhere to go. It was the middle of winter, so she lived in the sewers so that she could keep her kids warm. So what is the answer do we give uh, to someone like that? Where do we go for those realities? The, the reality is that a majority of the world turns inward. It has been the, the truth uh, over many centuries that what we begin to do is craft God into our own image. You find people that would uh, pray to created idols, and they would put their hope in work, and they would put their hope in, in powerful armies, and they would put their hope in governments, and they would begin to idolize those governments, and they would lift up the mighty ones. And then we began to look for hope in our answers in new technology. And of course, Darwin comes out and says, you're all wrong. There is no God. We're just freaks of nature and happenstance. And, and so we're going to have to find our answers in technology. And we come out with medicines and new conveniences and microwaves and, 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 and cheap burritos at 7-Eleven. And, and all of a sudden, our life is better because we have these things. And then if you go again, you've got Sigmund showing up around the turn of the century. And the answer is, it's not your fault. You're a victim of the surroundings. There is no God. And the solution is more medication, more therapy, more explanations for your life. But the truth is, all that the world provides doesn't give you an answer because you're stuck in hopelessness like Leanna, who was strung out on heroin. And she didn't have an answer. She was looking for hope. A lot of people... Uh, have has suffered under this kind of ideology, under the communist ideology. When the when the wall went down, their society fell apart. Suicide was two to three times greater than it is here in the U.S., and the abortion rate was nine times greater, and the uh, the fabric of the family had fallen apart. So the answer of saying that science and psychology and all these answers was debunked when we begin to look at the the uh, the effects of godlessness on a people. Some people turn to just religious works. This was an amazing picture I took just a couple of weeks ago in northern Ukraine, where there was a giant vat of water in the middle of the Orthodox sanctuary, and people were in a long line with their water bottles coming up to get a ladle of water that the priest had blessed. These people were ill and sick, and if they would just get the blessed water and they would drink it, their life would be better. And there was lines outside the door. But here's what we know. Here is God's answer. God so loved the world that he gave his only son... This is amazing. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners and distance from God, Christ died for us. I Please don't take that passage lightly. You all rebellious in hearts and rebellious in nature and, and sinners to the core. If you, if you want to know, just look at a little kid that's fighting with a brother and sister. It's built in. Learn that babies cry before they smile. These things are truths, and it's the world we live in. But God looked upon the human condition and said, I have an answer for that. And that answer comes from me, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have an answer for the nations, and I have an answer for all people. And this is our hope. Hallelujah. This is our hope. This is why we gather together and worship, because God has an answer for this dying world, and it is his son, and this is who you're worshiping today. And because of Jesus Christ, you have a new hope that all who believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You are not here because of a religious choice. You are here because of a loving God. 
And He desires to have a one-way telephone call with you. He desires to have a relationship with you as a father to a child. And this is the answer that a dying and hurting world desperately needs to hear. See, the second part to the equation is this. The second part of the equation is this, that God revealed Himself through people. And those people captured His inerrant, infallible Word. So not only did God come out and say, I have an answer for all the pain and suffering in this world, it is my Son. But He said, I am going to bring myself glory by doing that through you. And, and we see this word that has been conveyed through the centuries. And we see this word that tells us about who God is, about a salvation, and about a hope. And, and we need to remember that it, it was God who ordained a means of delivery. This is a picture that's going to be interesting to you. This is, this is a picture of, uh, of a life-saving crew in the mid-1800s. All up and down the eastern seaboard, there were these life-saving stations that were set up. They had heard that ships were running aground on the rocks, and you could actually hear from the beach people that were drowning and asking for people to save them. And this broke the hearts of the people, and they started establishing these little life-saving stations up and down the coast, and people would volunteer their time to be a part of these life-saving stations. But they couldn't get to enough ships, so they started creating more and more of these life-saving stations. And people would volunteer their time. And these men would walk up and down the beaches listening for lost souls. And while they were walking the beach, a couple of others would be cooking. A couple of others would be mending the lines, the rescue lines. And they would work together as a family, but they would be constantly living life on mission. About the turn of the century, I believe it's 1904, uh, the U.S. government took these life-saving stations and incorporated them into a new service called the U.S. Coast Guard. When they established the Coast Guard, it became a professional, uh, a professional occupation to be on a life-saving mission. And the volunteers stopped. The reason I share this with you is we often do this in the church. God has raised up life-saving stations, churches, all over because there are souls drowning in sin. They're crying out to you from across the street, in the grocery store, some even in your own congregation. And they're crying out, and too often we turn that over to the biblical Coast Guard, someone else who is going to do the work, and here I am, a missionary, and I'm telling you, it is not just my responsibility to share the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not a professional calling. Missions is not a department of the church. It's the calling of the church. And we need to see that and embrace that because God has placed you exactly where you need to be to rescue lost families, to place you where you need to be to rescue lost children. And you don't do it with superior worldly instruments. You do it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is a powerful, powerful tool. This is a picture of uh, people that were persecuted under the years of communism. And Stalin sought to stamp out Christianity. And when he did, he took Christians and he moved them into Central Asia among the Muslims. What happened? 
life-saving stations get developed. Churches get developed. He thought he would move them into Siberia and put them in the gulag. What happened? More stations are developed. More churches are developed. More families are saved. These are, are two ladies, two homeless ladies. And I'm going to tell you a little more about them, but I want you to open up the Word of God. And I, I would like you to have that mindset as we go through a passage that I know that you have heard many times before, but I just want to walk you through it. And I, I pray that God speaks into your heart today through it. Matthew 9.30, uh, let's start in uh, Matthew 9.35. If you uh, happen to be one of those people who loves to keep outlines, there's going to be three points, and this is the first one. That Jesus is the saver of lost souls. Saver of lost souls. And Jesus went throughout the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. If you want to see what he's talking about, look over at 10 verse 7. The kingdom is at hand. And he was telling his disciples to proclaim this. In Mark 1 15, repent and believe for the kingdom is hand. The, the gospel is the truth that Jesus is Lord and King and that there is no other means and no other name given us among men by which we are to be saved. And, and we see that the answer that God gave is Jesus. And he's, he's going among all peoples. He's through the villages and the synagogues. And he's proclaiming the gospel. And he's healing every disease. He's showing them physical and spiritual compassion. And he's showing his divinity by healing in a way that no one else could. And he's looking upon their condition. And look at Matthew 9.36. We can read through it really fast. It says, when he saw, at least in my English Standard Translation, it is not just looking. The Greek word, arao, means to perceive. That, that he not only saw, but he perceived their condition. He looked upon their state, and, and he observed how difficult it was for him. He saw the, the crowds, and his response to the crowd was a preaching of the gospel. And, and, and he looked upon their, their, their condition, and there were two uh, conditions that they had. They were harassed and helpless. And these are powerful words, actually. Uh, the word harassed means it's... Um, people have had fibromyalgia, I think it is, where, where it hurts to the touch. The idea of harassed is like your skin has been laid bare. And so everything hurts. There it seems like there's no safe quarter anywhere. Everything hurts to the touch. Everything is a mess. And the idea of helpless, it's like the commercial. You've fallen down and you can't get up. Uh, it, is, it is like a child, a newborn child, laying on the ground that has no way to turn itself up, over, no way to feed itself, no way to help itself. And Jesus looked on their spiritual condition and said, they're hopeless. They hurt. And they're without a future. And they're without a hope. And they're, and they're in a terrible state. And it says that he had compassion on them. The Greek, Greek word uh, speaks of it's a word called splankna, which, which, which talks of the guts, which means it's this deep down pain. And, and, and Jesus looked upon them and he saw their condition and he perceived their need and they couldn't find their way Towards God, there is no one righteous, no, not one. And he looked upon their condition and he had two responses. The first one is here. And we see 
uh, that it had preceded these words in verse 35. He looked upon them and they were hurt and weary and he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. God did what man could not do. He looked upon their condition and he said, I love them. I will take action. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, he says, I will make, give them a new heart and I will be their God and they will be my people and I will pour out my love. And you look, he looks upon them and he responds in hardship, but he looks upon them. Hold your place in Matthew and turn to John chapter 4. Looking at John chapter 4, it's the story of the woman at the well. And there was one particular uh, passage that I wanted you to look at. It's really simple. John 4.27. Look at John 4.27. You see, Jesus had come upon this woman in the, in the heat of the day. And it's likely that she was there in the heat of the day because she could not bear the shame of coming in the morning with the rest of the ladies. It's revealed over time that she had been in several relationships and and that she was probably uh, an an outcast within the community. So the other ladies would go to the well and she would come in the heat of the day, uh, mostly because she needed to be away. Maybe the other people in the village didn't want to be around her. And here is Jesus, a rabbi, an unaccompanied male that is with an unaccompanied woman, which is against her tradition. And then she's a Samaritan. And then she's a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the one I'm going to get a drink of water from. And Jesus sits down and he begins to share with her. And again, this is my paraphrase. And then you look at verse 27. The disciples came back and they were astonished. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. And that's for all of these cultural reasons. And their eyes were set on their culture, and Jesus was setting them free. And when he was setting them free, he was pointing them to the bigger task. It wasn't about their religiosity. It was about the harvest. And if you skip down to John 4.35, it says this, Jesus says, yet there are four months, and then comes the harvest. And by then, the Samaritans were coming towards him. He said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the field is white with harvest. So rather than being stuck in your own ways and what you expect God to do or not to do, it was a life-saving mission that he had called the disciples to. And they needed to be ready to be witnesses of his story and his truth to all he had met. These two Tajik ladies are holding children that are not theirs. They live in an abandoned warehouse that a pastor took me to. And we had to peel back the fence and the aluminum to get back there. And there they were living, trying to look for a hope and a future. And they do that by investing in drunk men that were just behind us in the shadows, which only led to them having more children and more pain. And there were three families, living, uh, 14 people living in a one-room house with a single burner and a dirt floor, and they were looking for hope and a future. Who will go out and help them? Who will help the children? And on the one on the right was actually dying, and we were able to get the child to the hospital and get him taken care of. And these children were the, the children of another woman who actually had gone to Moscow to get a job, and she said, just sell them. And, and get extra money. Who cares? So in the, in the, uh, the despicable nature and the sinful nature of human, human beings, it took a pastor who he himself was 
grown uh, during a very hard times to go out and peel back the aluminum, walk back into a horrible area and bring the gospel to the ladies. And both these ladies are actually in his church today. You remember the story in John 8 of the woman that was caught in adultery where the rest of the Pharisees wanted to bring down their judgment upon her. And Jesus said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And this woman, what a terrible, I mean, there couldn't be an any, any more terrible story where the, the Pharisees look on this woman and wait for her to be caught in adultery and then bring her before Jesus. They knew what was going on, and instead of rescuing her, they used her as a tool to try to trip up Jesus. This woman here was an orphan. She grew up as an orphan mom. And I have to admit, what I'm going to tell you caused my heart to stumble. She has three children, but only two with her. She needed to put food on the table, so she sold her 12-year-old daughter into sex slavery. Children that are sold into sex slavery have about two years to live before they're totally worn out, and then they're used as organ donors for rich sheiks. It's usually in the Middle East. And, and so she had sold her daughter, and she didn't think much about it. And as a father, I struggled with this. But, but it didn't matter if I struggled with it. I was blessed with the opportunity to sit down and share the gospel with her. I can, I can tell you that she is coming every Sunday to the church, but I can also tell you she has not uh, repented or turned, and she feels no remorse right now for selling her daughter. And it's difficult, but you have to reach out to these people. And these are the people that Jesus saw. But if you look at 936, Matthew 936, and you go back to Matthew 936. So Jesus looked upon these people and he had compassion upon them. And they were the despicable and and wounded and hurting people of the world. And he went out among them. And his action was to say, then he said to the disciples, and I want you to stop right there. The disciples, uh, if just as a reference in your notes, Mark 3, 16 through 19 talks about the disciples. And, and um, in this church, you've probably learned about a few of them. But you got Matthew, the tax collector. You got Simon, the zealot. You have Peter, the hothead. You got James and John, the sons of thunder. And you have all of these guys together. Can you imagine them sitting around a campfire? Can you imagine these guys who are like, Simon the Zealot would rather stab Matthew, the tax collector. James and John were always getting into it with Peter. We are more important than you. And Peter's like, hey, I got this all sorted. And you can imagine the campfire with these guys. And, and in the midst of that, it is God who brought together a collection of the, of the most disconnected people you can imagine uh, to be his witnesses of the gospel. If you could look real quick, quickly at Ma- or, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 2. And this is a calling of, of, of Matthew. And in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Jesus went out behind, beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said, follow me. It's an amazing, uh, and by the way, uh, the second point is his rescue crew. I didn't give you the second point. I should have done that. Um, 
the, uh, there's an amazing Greek word that is follow. It is not uh, this idea of numerical, one following behind another. It's the word akolotheo, which means to take on the mantle of one's master. So what Jesus was asking Matthew when he passed by, first of all, he was a respectable rabbi, and he's, he's talking to a tax collector, which it never happens. And then, and then he's calling the tax collector to be his disciple. This idea of a follower means that you are gonna, your words are going to be my words, and your life is going to be my life. And when Jesus calls on you to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he's not just saying, follow behind me. What Jesus is saying is your words will be my words and your life will be my life and you will become like me and and you will be a little Christ. And in case you're wondering what Christian means, it is little Christ and and that you will walk in that. And, And Matthew got up from his tax booth. And you see the amazing part about that is Matthew was a wealthy man and he had sold out his own people to become a tax collector. And and everyone wanted this because you had to purchase it from the Romans. So the minute Matthew stood up from his tax booth, he lost his job. He had no more income. He lost his credibility with the Romans. His friends would have thought he was a joke. And, and, and here he is following a rabbi. And then the people that knew the rabbi would have thought Jesus was a joke because he's calling on a tax collector. And God says, in my design, I'm choosing a bunch of broken, hopelessly lost people that I'm going to pour out my grace on and they will be my witnesses among the nations. And if God can call Matthew the tax collector to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, most certainly he can call you. And he didn't save you so you could sit in church. He saved you so that you would be his life-saving crew. That you would live life on mission for the sake of the gospel and you would be about his work. So I love the worship this morning, but that's not what it's about. I like comfy seats because in our little church we just have metal chairs. Uh, That's not what it's about. It's about the gospel and God raising up a lost and hurting people to restore them by his grace and for them to be witnesses among the nation. So we see that he, he saves this life-saving crew. And I want to tell you about Victor and Tanya. Victor and Tanya, uh, Tanya is a murderer. She was drinking her, she was drinking and driving and her, her daughters, her three daughters were killed in a car wreck. Victor is what he refers to as a terrible criminal because he's been arrested seven times. You can't see in the picture, but his nose is flat because it's been broken so many times. And they came to faith in prison, and then they moved to within 25 kilometers of the border of Afghanistan, living in Tajikistan, where it's 99.9% Muslim. They are the only Christians there, and they wanted to plant a church, and they went to start cleaning up the place, and they got into a wood pile, and when they disturbed the wood pile, some of the kids came out, and they were hiding there from parents that beat them. These drug runners coming up across the Taliban, coming across the border, and now they have 20 kids there that they feed and grow, and they've taken kids that were 10-year-old alcoholics who are now straight-A students, and the one smaller picture you see on the side with a kid in a dark shirt on the left, he's now a straight-A student, and he's number one in all of Tajikistan, in Greco-Roman wrestling. He's a monster. And so now he goes and prays to Christ before this in a Muslim government and prays to Christ, and then he pins people. And, 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 and so it's amazing. So God can take two criminals 
and, and change their lives and use them to change more lives, to give hope where there was no hope. And this is God's crew. He doesn't find the finest and the most beautiful people and the most perfect people and the most righteous. Instead, he sought sinners, broken sinners all. And he says, I will take you and put you on mission for my glory alone. And he will transform lives. And so the last piece, the third piece, is that he raised up you to save lives. He raised up you. So point three is that it's a call to be life savers. Matthew uh, 37 to 38 says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest and as we sit down and we think about this we come from a farm community and not too many farmers could sit in the barn and wait for the harvest can you imagine with all the farm tools they rounded them up and sat in the barn and crossed their arms and said well we're just going to see how this works out we've got all the best tools we've got the combine we've got we've got all of our things we've got the fertilizers packed away we got everything we know everything there needs to be known about farming Let's just wait for that harvest to just come walking in the door. It doesn't work that way. The farmer actually has to go out into the harvest. And we are the same way in our faith. It doesn't work that way where we sit in our own comfortable environment. We have to be uncomfortable and we have to get out from there. So Jesus could have done this all himself but he gave the responsibility to his disciples to make disciples. And he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up more laborers to do what? To go out into the harvest. And so this is like Pastor Volodia. This is a, a building that was taken out in the shelling in eastern Ukraine in a village called Kramatorsk. You may have heard that in the, in the news. It has been liberated by the government and they have to go back and rebuild these buildings. There's no roofs. Uh, the windows are shattered and broken out. There is no water. There is no electricity. So part of what we've been doing, in fact, you'll see pictures in the back display. Part of what we've been doing is getting humanitarian aid out there. But Pastor Volodia, who's the pastor of a church there, 80% of his church left. Uh, fear, uh, Volodia himself has been held at machine gun point over and over and uh, he had come and he needed $500 so that we could give him $500 so that he had enough gas to get home and take care of people. And, and he, he was, he was kind of like a, a, a kid not stopping, uh, that shouldn't, was told to go straight home, but didn't. And he stopped his whole way home and found a lady that needed insulin and bought insulin. And he went a little further and found kids that didn't have food, so he bought food for them. By the time he actually got to Kramatorsk, he only had 20 bucks, and he used that to put gas in his tank. And we continue to provide aid through him. But he's like the good shepherd. And you hear about the good shepherd who in John 10 uh, is not like the hireling that runs away and not like the thief that comes to take and destroy but a good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Well, if we are going to be little sheep, if we are going to be little Christ, then Christ calls us to lay down our lives for the sake of the lost. So if you want to go back to those two uh, kids, the kids like Anastasia that I told you about, Pastor Volodia, the pastor that is now ministering to Anastasia, he grew up with no mom and no dad, and he came to faith in prison. God raised up a criminal to reach out to Anastasia and to give her hope. She was just sleeping on the floor and had no bed. She has a bed now, and she's doing okay 
because the church invested in her and they did that by going out to get her. And then there was another picture that I showed you about Takmina. She is in a building where a man named Sergey, who came to faith and he was a drug addict himself, um, came to faith and he's been leading a drug rehab center. His grandmother passed away, leaving him an apartment. He said, I don't need a place to lay my head. He gave his apartment to all the homeless families and he goes over there to that apartment every day and he feeds them and teaches the Bible to them. And Takmina is Muslim and she really didn't understand who Jesus is and now understands that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Here's the reason that I'm telling you this. It took the gospel of Jesus Christ. It took a loving, sovereign God to look on his people and say, I love them in spite of their sin. And it took a loving, sovereign God to see that the way that he would bring himself glory, a God who was both just and merciful, he would bring that by taking his message and use broken lives to be his messengers. God has raised up Bear Valley Church for that reason. I have been so blessed to head out, to be sent out from Bear Valley Church. But it's not just about Christy and I. I'm overseas every month. It's not about me. This is something God has led me to do. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is about what he's doing in this body of believers. And I would encourage you in whatever you do, to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God did not raise you up just for your own unique uh, purposes, but for His purposes. And certainly He has given you the joy of knowing Him. But there's a lost and hurting world out there that desperately is in need of the life preserver that you can provide. Reach out to lost families and love them in spirit and in truth. Reach out to the person across the street. And continue to join with us in reaching out to the ends of the earth. Because uh, Christy and I are your ambassadors. And what a joy it is to do that. So I encourage you, read through that simple passage. Understand the focus that Jesus had, his response, and the fact that he set disciples to be his witnesses to live life on mission. So let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace upon grace and your truth and how you continue uh, to work mightily in our lives. We thank you for the fact that you raised us up. Father, we were fallen and we could do nothing, yet by your grace you looked upon us in spite of our sin and you sent your Son those years ago. That we would believe in him and you moved in our heart and gave us a new heart that we could see you. And Father, you transformed our life and by your grace we are made new. Father, we pray if there is anyone here today who is distant uh, from you, Lord, you would restore them to you. And Father, if there are those that are sitting uh, quietly and not boldly standing for you, give them new zeal and passion. And Father, from this church, we may see more missionaries. From this church, we may see a revival. From this church, we may see lives transformed. We praise you and thank you, Father, for your grace upon grace and your wondrous wondrous Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. What a great challenge, Eric. And uh, I can't help but think that... uh, 
God's been using Slavic Gospel for many years and has positioned them as an organization to continue to reach uh, in a unique way, and, and you and Christy as well as part of that. And uh, These are exciting times we live in, uh, not necessarily good exciting, uh, but they are exciting times, and the, the mere fact that God would uh, use His own people uh, to go and reach more people. What an exciting thing. I, I know that sometimes our lives seem very insignificant, and they are, uh, apart from God using us. And so uh, what a great challenge. Uh, right now we're going to share in a time of communion. So if the men who are going to help uh, serve would come and prepare the table, how this connects uh, with what we've just heard uh, is real simple. Um, it starts with us remembering uh, who Jesus is, uh, that he came, and he came for sinners. And apart from uh, you having the work of the gospel happen to you, uh, that you would be saved and cleansed and, and receive the hope that's found in Jesus, uh, y- you have nothing to share. Uh, you stand there. Uh, you sit uh, maybe wealthier, maybe not addicted to drugs or uh, in different situations, but just as dead inside. Uh, and so we remember what the Lord has done for us personally, and that begins to be the, the launching point for God using us greatly uh, as we become His children. Right now, uh, I want you to think about um, your own relationship with the Lord. If you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, No matter what uh, church you're a part of or if you're just visiting with us here today, please partake and uh, remember what the Lord has done for you personally. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, thank you for being here today. Thank you for coming and hearing uh, the good news of the gospel that Eric shared as well as what the impact that's making throughout the world. But think about it in terms of you. Consider where the Lord has you this morning and whether you need him. Uh, whether you feel the guilt of your own sins, whether you feel the emptiness that comes uh, from not knowing Him. It's real simple just to cry out to Him and say, Lord, I need You. I need Your saving in my life. I need You to take my place, the punishment of my sins. I encourage you all to take these moments to just remember. Remember what the Lord has done. Please hold the elements and then we'll all partake together as we remember the Lord.
Jesus gathered with his disciples before he went uh, to the cross, uh, the meal he took the bread and after giving thanks, he explained to them that this was his body broken for them. We remember today that his body was broken on our behalf, that we might be freed from our sins, partake together. That same meal, Jesus also took the cup, uh, explained to them that this was the blood of the new covenant he was making with them. 
This morning we remember the blood of our Lord that was spilled on our behalf. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, that died on the cross for us sinners. God, help us to never forget that we were dead and you made us alive. And that that would be um, our motivation for living, the, the, the priorities that we have, the things that we participate in, Lord, that we would not forget. God, I ask your blessing on this church that we would be ones who are rescuing families and extending hope, um, hope not of ourselves, but hope that comes from the gospel of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, we uh, Each month we take a, uh, an offering uh, for those who are needy in our congregation. And I, I, I just want to switch this up just a little bit this week. Uh, because of, as Eric shared, and the needs. Uh, but we're going to uh, send this as an extension of our church uh, with Eric uh, to bless those along his travels and uh, along the people that he needs. We, we won't meet any of these people uh, unless we see them in heaven uh, for the most part. And so uh, as you give today, uh, we'll send this uh, with Eric, uh, and they can use it as an extension of his ministry wherever he sees fit. So please participate. I know that uh, it's moving to, to see pictures, and sometimes we feel helpless uh, because we can't touch those people. Uh, but the challenge today was not just to touch people far away, uh, but where we are, that God wants us to be a messenger of hope. Uh, not not necessarily paid like the Coast Guard. Those guys make all kinds of money and everything like that. Uh, good to have you here, Garrett. Uh, prop. We brought him in just for this. But um, have a great day today. Uh, blessed because we know the gospel.